Good morning. Welcome here where we in Bigger and Black Mount churches are meeting just now. As we go through the various phases of restrictions being lifted, we find we're able to do things in different ways, not quite like we used to, but still better than when we were in total lockdown. Some folks are gathering in each other's homes. So this morning, I'd like to shout out to Sandy Gilchrist and Margaret Leeper, who have been meeting together to join in this service of worship on Mercat Loan. Another shout out to Bill and Caroline Deeren, who get together every Sunday with Kathleen Roger. And a shout out to, to others who are doing the same, joined together in small groups to worship God with us together here online. It's as if the church is happening in loads of places, and I am sure that is pleasing to our God, who desires to see the whole earth filled with his glory, just as the waters cover the sea. It's been an eventful week in many ways, with both joy and sadness. A great sadness to us all has been the sudden death on Monday of our dear brother, John Turnbull. And our prayers are with all who knew and loved John, especially with Moira and the rest of John's family. A service of remembrance and celebration for John's life will take place on this coming Thursday at 12 noon. I know that many of you would want to come to that service and pay your respects to John. If circumstances were different, I think that we would have a packed-out church. But sadly, due to the restrictions surrounding coronavirus, only a limited number of people are allowed to attend funerals just now. The service, however, will be live-streamed at 12 noon from Liberton Kirk in Edinburgh, and everyone is welcome to join in that live stream. The link to the live stream is in the description below and in the weekly church email you may have received. We also hope to have a get-together to share memories of John on Zoom at a date not yet determined, so watch this space for announcements for that. In the meantime, we worship God. We worship the God who is the God of our mothers and fathers of faith, those who have gone before us, who include John himself. The writer to the letter, the, light, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says that those mothers and fathers of faith are like a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us and cheering us on as we continue to run this race that God has marked out for us. So let's sing to God's praise with our first hymn, the hymn, Will You Come and Follow Me? Let's turn to God as we begin our service. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. Thank you for the mighty miracles that we have been privileged to witness. 
Thank you, too, for the small signs of your kingdom that are often barely imperceptible unless we really take time to consider them. Thank you for people whom you have put in our lives, both the people who actively encourage us and the ones through whom we are challenged, but who nonetheless play their part in what you are doing in our lives to help us become more like your Son, our Saviour. Lord God, by the power of your Spirit in and among us, make us aware of your presence with us this morning and throughout the coming week. Lord God, equip us through our worship, our study and our contemplation to be your disciples and your ambassadors in a world that needs the life that only you can give. We pray now the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We now turn to our scripture readings this morning. And our scripture readings are three from three different passages in the Bible. The first is from Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 19. If you, got, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 19. If you don't, then please do read along on the screen. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our second passage is taken from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaking with his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And our third and final passage is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, you are able to do what we think is impossible. You are able to give sight to the blind, make the lame walk, and soften hearts that have been hard for ages. Come among us now by your Spirit. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes to new possibilities. And help us, Lord, to leap and praise you for all that you are doing in our world to make your kingdom come. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are looking at our fifth and final mark of the church that we find in the description of the early church in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 that we read just now. Every other mark that we've looked at from this description is primarily something the early disciples did. They, the disciples, were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Every one of the disciples was filled with awe. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. It was they who sold their property. They continued to meet together. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together. But this last mark doesn't have the disciples as the primary subject, but it has God. It is God here who is first and foremost doing the action. God is the subject of the sentence there in verse 47. God added to their number daily. Certainly God was at work in all those other marks, but there is something I believe in the fact that it says of this mark, God added to their number. You might remember something that John Young, my mentor and minister at Liberton Kirk in Edinburgh, shared with the joint sessions at our conference two years ago. It was so significant that Cameron and I have shared it with you in our congregations several times since. John Young said then, reflecting on Scripture, It is God's responsibility to build or grow the church. It is our responsibility to be and make disciples. It is God's responsibility to build or grow the church. It is our responsibility to be and make disciples. 
And the two scriptures that John specifically referred to were Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And Jesus' command to his disciples in the passage we read earlier, where he says to them, Go and make disciples. There's a, a clear delineation of responsibility here. Jesus' responsibility, he says himself, is to build and to grow the church. He will do that. We can leave that in his hands. That is his responsibility. Our responsibility, however, is to be and make disciples. But what does it mean to make disciples? Well, I think we've been given the answer to that question in the four marks that we have already covered. As the early church gathered around God's word, as they made Jesus, his presence, and his teaching the center of their lives, and as they did life together, being generous, forgiving, and radically hospitable, as they took every concern as individuals and as a church family to God in prayer, and as they developed that sense of expectant awe that we spoke of last week, they became a church that was ready and able to make disciples of others and to grow. What does it mean to become a disciple? to be added to that number. In other places of in the New Testament, becoming part of the church is described variously as dying and being born again, as living as aliens in the land where you once were at home. It's also described as taking up a cross and following Jesus. Well, if these images are anything to go by, being a disciple is hard work. Being a disciple does not come naturally to any of us or to those we long to come be a part of what God is doing among us. Being a disciple requires that we be discipled. Being a disciple requires, according to Jesus' commandment, that those who would be disciples have intimate relationships with, of mutual accountability with others in the family of the church, people who will teach them and model for them what being a disciple is like. To make good disciples, it takes a church organized in the way the church we find in Acts 2 was organized. But I'm afraid that much of how we have traditionally organized church just isn't set up for this final mark of growth that is part of a vibrant church. Think about it, if you will. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says that after Jesus ascended, there were only 120 believers. But on the day the Spirit came, that first Pentecost day, 
in a single day, 3,000 people were added to their number. And here in verse 47, it says disciples were being added daily to their number. God was growing the church, but they, the church, needed to disciple all these folks that were coming along, that God was bringing along to them. The only way that the church could have accommodated the growth God was miraculously giving them is if every member saw it as their calling and as their duty to disciple at least one other person. And in their case, in the case of the early church, they would have had to disciple way more than one other person. Think about it, 3,000 divided by 120 is 25. The early Christians would have had to have been teaching and intentionally modeling discipleship for 25 other people, at least. In our traditional way of organizing things in the church, we have by and large left discipling and teaching new people up to a few select individuals, like youth leaders and ministers. If, in the early church, Folks had been required to go through a a communicants class once a week with an apostle as the teacher to learn how to be a disciple. There's no way that the church would have been able to accommodate the growth that they saw. And great as the apostles were, no teaching in a formal setting is ever going to be as good as actually seeing the subject matter of the teaching lived out in real life. Communicants classes are great, but far better to have real, live model of a Christian disciple to learn from in day-to-day life. No, what was happening in this early church was that ordinary folk were meeting in small groups They were sharing life together, they were eating together, they were learning together how to be disciples, and they were including new people in their life together. And that is how they were able to grow. Can I suggest that that is a model for us to follow too? Especially now as we find ourselves in a season where folks are not able to meet in large groups for fear of the spread of coronavirus. But, you may say, that all looks good in theory. And sure, it worked for the early church. But my life is nothing like I would want anyone else to emulate. I'm no different to anyone else. I've got these temptations and these bad habits And I make a hash of my following Jesus every day. How on earth am I going to be a model for anyone else? You may also very well say, look at us, look at our church. We have arguments, we have misunderstandings, we have fallings out all the time. 
how is this supposed to be a model for anyone to follow? We may very well feel that if people are meant to look to us and learn from us how to be disciples, that isn't going to get them very far, very fast. But the answer to this very common objection is that it is precisely our foibles and our failures that qualify us for being good disciple-makers. My weaknesses make it clear that this whole thing is not about me, but that it is about Christ who lives in me. It's a blooming miracle that I am a Christian at all. No doubt about it. And it's that miracle that people need to be awed by and told about. That, I am certain, will lead them to believe and trust in the one who makes such miracles happen. It is our struggles and how we deal with those struggles under the grace of God as individuals and as a family together that makes us the kind of people others should and can look to as they too as they too deal with the same kind of struggles that we deal with and as they learn to be disciples along with us one problem with the way that we have traditionally done church only seeing each other on sunday and our sunday best is that folks don't get to see the struggles and the problems that allow for the grace of god to come pouring into our lives. What we need, I believe, is more transparency if we're going to be the kind of church that makes disciples of others. And again, one of the best ways for this to happen is by doing life together. It's by spending time with each other, sharing scripture together, praying together and eating together in in smaller groups. Earlier, I referred to John Young's words that God's responsibility was to grow the church and ours was to make disciples. These two responsibilities, however, are not unrelated. I believe that what we see described here in Acts 2 is a kind of cause and effect relationship between these two responsibilities. Because the early church was the way they were, because they were taking their discipleship and making disciples seriously, because they were meeting together, centering on the word, sharing life and food, God was pleased to bless them and to add to their number. I like that comparison that our friends made in the drama just now. Our faith, when it is taken seriously, is like a a virus. It should be highly contagious. But we all have been made keenly aware that viruses need a certain atmosphere in order to be transmitted from one person to another. 
So it is with the Christian faith. It requires proximity and a lot of exposure. Passing on Christian faith requires incubation for a certain amount of time for it to really flourish. It's my prayer that God will help us in Bigger and Blackmount to be the kinds of churches where faith can be transmitted and flourish in the hearts of everyone, new believers as well as those who have been around for a long time. May God bless to us this reflection on his word this morning. Lord God, we come before you now, acknowledging that you are sovereign over all. Thank you that we can trust you, even when we don't understand everything that happens. Thank you that you love us and that you are good. We praise you for your promise that you will build your church. Lord, we come to you now with the expectation that you are building your church and that you hear our prayers. We pray for your church across our nation and the world today. We pray for churches like us who are not yet meeting physically. We pray especially for all those who are not able to access online services and who are feeling very alone in their walk of faith. Draw near to each one, Lord, and may they know your presence today. We pray for church leaders who are working hard to open church buildings within the constraints of COVID regulations and in ways that will protect folk from the virus. Give wisdom to all in decision-making roles and help them to get the right balance between submission to authority, common sense and trust in you. We pray that you would have your hand on Mike and others as they plan to start services in Bigger Kirk. Thank you for those with gifts in the area of technology and we ask that you would help them to prepare for recording services in the church. As we think of our church community, we pray for the opening of the Gillespie Centre this week. We ask for your presence and leading for those making decisions, for staff and volunteers to get used to new working conditions and we pray that customers will come back and feel welcomed and at home. This morning, Lord, we pray for Christians across the world who are persecuted for their faith and have to meet in secret. Give them courage and joy, despite the pain and suffering so many endure in your name. Lord, we bring before you all who are suffering known to us at this time. We pray for those who are unwell in body, mind or spirit. In the silence we lift them before you and cry out for you to bring healing. We pray for those who are anxious about finances or have lost jobs. We lift them before you in the silence and cry out to you for your provision.
This morning we pray particularly for the Turnbull family and all those in this church family, community and nation who are grieving following John's death this week. Thank you, as your word says, that you are the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. As you comfort us, help us to comfort others with the comfort we have received from you. Finally, as we have reflected on what happened in the early church, Lord, we pray for revival in our land. We ask you to move in power to draw people to yourself. Give us a joy and an expectancy that you are at work in the hearts of our friends and neighbours and show us how to love them and point them to Jesus through the way we live our lives. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. A few announcements before we go. Exciting news this week. On Tuesday, the Gillespie Centre Café will be open again. The team there have put in place all the necessary precautions to keep us safe when we use those facilities. So do go along and support the fantastic work that is being done there. St. Mary's Hall, too, is now open for business. Under the present restrictions, only the after-school club is meeting there. But soon, other organizations can get back to their activities, too. A big thank you to Caroline Deeren and her team, who have helped to prepare for opening there. The Kirk Building in Bigger Now has a brand new heating system, renewed electrical wiring, and a more up-to-date sound system. A big thank you to Adrian Schilliday, David Murray, and Lewis Hunter for all the work that they have put in there. God willing, we will have our first service back in the Kirk on the 20th of September. Numbers able to attend worship will, of course, be restricted. We'll let you know how things are going to be organized for that. A letter or an email will be coming round to everyone for whom we have contact details, explaining how we will operate under the current restrictions. Kirk Session in Blackmount have made the difficult decision not to reopen our buildings until we reach the phase, phase four of the government's roadmap. The members of the Congregation of Blackmount will therefore be included in our plans for returning to the building in Bigger, and they will be most welcome. For all of us, the services here online will continue, even when we are allowed back in the church buildings. At our session meeting in Blackmount last week, the treasurer informed us that our giving has de declined there quite considerably over this lockdown period. And a suggestion was made that it is because folks are holding on to their envelopes until they're able to return to church. Can I ask people in both churches, if you have envelopes, please get in contact with either, the, either of the treasurers or myself, and we will be happy to come and retrieve those envelopes from you. 
If you would like to change the way that you give and set up a standing order, we will also give you advice on how to do that. As always, your contributions are vital for the continued good work that your church does, and we are very appreciative of them. We live through turbulent times of rapid change, but we are reminded in the scripture that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as we close, let's receive his blessing. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with us all evermore. Amen.